Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You're listening to an irreverent podcast. For more unholy content from our friends, head to irreverent.fm. Hey friends, welcome to the Speaking in Church podcast. It's your girl Josie. I'm here alone, Um, but I've been meaning to record an episode alone. Anywho, so here we are. Truthfully, I just woke up and I've been on a non-coffee kick. I've been drinking uh, water with caffeine in it, so I'm a little little fucked up in the head. But I think that's good because today is an angry episode for Josie. A righteous Jesus flipping the tables episode where I'm just going to rant about the specific unforgivable sins that I have come to know on a deep personal level from the evangelical church that I grew up in and unfortunately continue to have to interact with in a world, in a country that is obsessed with being a Christian nation or whatever. I mean, at least less than half is, but they're, they're so loud. They're so loud. Like, shut up. I want to talk about this because I've just spent kind of like the better part of a year uh, completely immersed in grief. I'm kind of obsessed and this leads me to my first topic, which kind of inspired this whole episode, is I am so upset at how the evangelical church did not prepare us for grief. And not only didn't prepare us, but kind of fucked it up along the way. Um, The the first tragic incident of my life um, happened a few years ago where my cousin tragically died. Um, You know, he was run over by somebody trying to steal his car. He was run over with his own car. And it was just, it was in front of his mother's house. It's so traumatic, right? And my family and I are very close. I think that kind of happens when you're an immigrant family moving to a new country. Like you all, your extended family kind of moved to the same place and we had family parties and we're always hanging out. And like this specific family, it was always at their house and because we're just close and it was a huge loss and I was numb. I hadn't, I didn't cry very much. I didn't know how to process the fact that my cousin was no longer with us and that I had to exist in a future without him in it. So that's already going on in the back of my mind. I mean, he has, he had a kid, he has a kid and nieces and nephews, like a lot of immigrant families, we all at some point or another live together. So it's just, you know, it was a huge loss and, and I still feel the reverberations of his loss today and I still miss him. Um, But what happened during this whole process of the initial grief is what really pisses me off more than anything. 
So let's get started before I cry processing my own grief. Um, so my family, for whatever reason, in the like three weeks after his death, we were I was just always at my aunt's house, like all day, every day I was there. And my job was kind of like comic relief, not too much because I'm respectful as well, but mostly with the kids, right? Like I, there were so many people at the house and me and my partner were like, we had gone to this house so often, like for dinner and for parties and the kids knew us. So we were like their most trusted aunt and uncle. Um, not that they didn't know everybody else, but like we were close, we are close. Um, and so obviously they gravitated towards us, the people that they knew in this time of grief and their kids. So they want to laugh and they want to talk about stupid video games with their uncle Ryan and they want to piss aunt Josie off by saying that her clothes are weird. (laughs) Um, so that was kind of my job and I loved it. Uh, even though I hated it, but I love my nieces and nephews. So it was an honor to be able to be there with them for that. Um, and for them to trust us with their grief. I mean, they asked us all sorts of big questions and we talked a lot about, you know, dying and death and heaven and all this stuff, um, even sadness. But what made me super overprotective of them during this time was at one point, the, this side of the family is Catholic, so I'm specifically talking shit about the Catholic Church on this one. <laughs> but um, this bishop, I guess, uh, came to do a little service at my aunt's house because we're all congregating at my aunt's house. She couldn't leave her house, obviously. Like, she, it was her safe space. Um. So he came over and was going to do this little memorial service. I don't know. I don't know what it was. Um, and immediately, like, we're in my aunt's driveway. It's a big driveway. So we have tents and tables set up because we're eating, obviously. Like, everybody's fucking cooking because that's how we grieve in Latin America. Um, and he immediately, like, has everybody set up tables in front of him, like a little church service. And looks at everybody at the tables that are eating or just at these fucking tables that are in the immediate vicinity. Like it's like right behind these chairs that are facing him. Um, so he is like, I need everybody to come over here to the service spot. Cause we're having a little service. And so many of us were so pissed off. Like, how are you going to talk to us? Like, we're sad. Like, how are you going to talk to us like this? Also, we can see you. We can hear you. Like, we know what's going on. We're right here. We're, But he wanted us to not have a table in front of us or eat or whatever. Um, so I'm pissed off. And he just, like, starts going off about how, like, my aunt and uncle shouldn't have my cousin's ashes because that's not the correct way to grieve. Like, they should let him go or something. And my uncle is like, I'm not giving up my kid. Like, this is my kid and he's going to stay in my fucking house. Uh, I mean, he doesn't curse like I do or, you know, he speaks in Spanish too, but whatever. Um, and I just lost it and I went inside and I was like, first of all, I didn't move from my table. Like, bitch, I'm going to eat. If I have to listen to your bullshit, I'm going to eat. Um, my family's not like extremely Catholic where they're casually Catholic as most Mexicans are. Uh, but it still like felt important to them, right? Like it's, it's a ritual and rituals mean so much in grief. I've come to learn. Um, And so I go inside and my oldest niece in this house is sitting and she's pissed off. And she's like, I don't like this way this guy's talking to me. Like, I don't like this. I don't like that. Mind you, I think she's done catechism. So she knows what's up. 
but she's upset and like I'm upset that my niece is upset. I'm so enraged that this man felt like he could come into my aunt's house and dictate how everybody has to grieve and dictate how everything has to go. And he was just so fucking rude. And I was like, you're the bishop in a Catholic church and you're talking to us like this? Like, and he was mad that people didn't know the fucking songs. And they were on a CD. He brought a boombox. They were the oldest ass songs. Like, my grandma in Mexico in the village listens to some pretty old evangelical music, right? This is older than that. Like, I I know a lot of church songs. I didn't know any of these fucking church songs. So he was fucking tripping. Um, so that really left a bad taste in my mouth. Like, you're really poisoning my kiddos. Not my kids, but my nieces and nephews. Because you don't like the way that we're grieving. Like, we're all in community. Like, it was just a beautiful experience for those of us who are going through it together. And you're going to be a dick about it? Absolutely not. I mean, it was to the point where I, like, wrote a letter. I was trying to find out where this guy was, like, I don't know, stationed so I could send it to his bosses. But I was ready to send it to the fucking Pope. It was just truly unacceptable. And it just highlights now, in retrospect, how little the church the Judeo-Christian church, Catholic and Protestant, they don't prepare you for people dying and they don't prepare you and they don't really care. Like, honestly, truthfully, because if they did care, we would, you know, learn about this. We would do, we would deal with this together. We would whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, so that was annoying. Um, in the same experience, so we had this memorial service at this beautiful uh, little chapel at the funeral home or whatever and it was a lovely service I remember like that was the first time I cried because we had an open casket and like I walked down the line and like seeing my nieces and nephews there like his daughter and like processing with them and then having to go down look at him and then him looking different hugging my his sisters and my aunt and my uncle and I'm thinking like, this is too much for me to bear. Like, I haven't cried up until this point, and this is the reality. <laughs> I didn't realize that people hadn't, had noticed that I hadn't cried because, like, I was bawling in my cousin's arms, his sister's arms, and she's like, you haven't cried yet. <laughs> like, she noticed, and it was just, like, a beautiful moment between us of, like, we were, <sighs> they knew that I was in it with them and that I was trying to be strong for them. I'm going to cry. Um... Anyways, it was a beautiful service. My dad and I, at one point, um, we were in the back, like, when things were dying down, we were cleaning up, and my dad and I had this lovely moment. My dad, who's an evangelical, like, zealot at this point, just kidding, he's a little bit more progressive than he cares to admit, but we're sitting in the back, and he's like, you know, I think that God gives people chances in the end. Like, I don't think you get, like, no matter what, I think that you get to leave this world, and you get to you get to meet God and then you get to decide or whatever, which is like a very Mormon thing. And I don't know if he fully believes that as so much as like he really wanted my cousin to be in heaven. Mind you, my cousin was casually Catholic. So, I mean, same bullshit, right? Um, and truthfully, I love my cousin to death. We would fight. We would argue all the time. But he, I mean, he was kind of an asshole. I mean, he was great, but like... In the sense, I mean, I'm kind of an asshole, but he, you know, he's great. He was making a lot of strides towards the end, so he was having a little girl soften to him. But, like, there was no doubt in my mind, because I believe in heaven, 
and I don't believe in hell, that my cousin was in heaven, right? So it was just a lovely moment where I got to see that my dad fully felt the presence of the divine telling him, your nephew's going to be all right. The nephew that you saw grow up since he was a child and lived 30 odd years, like he's going to be all right, like to chill out. Um, and so we're having this beautiful moment about spirituality and da, da, da. And my dad and I never really connect about God because we just are so fucking different. And it was it was nice. And then towards the end, when we were leaving, um, <laughs> somebody who will remain unnamed and their relationship will remain unnamed so people can't figure it out. Um, except my family because they already know. Uh, they, were, they came up to me and they were bawling their eyes out they were so they were crying and immediately because this person was evangelical i was like instantly i was defensive and i was like this bitch male or female whatever still bitch like they think that my cousin is burning in hell and that that's why they're crying and sure enough they opened their mouth and they were they were like i didn't get a chance to save him I, the evangelical Christian, didn't save them. So now they're in hell. Immediately, the hot tears are rolling down my face. Like, the hottest tears I've ever felt in my life. And luckily, my dad was around me because we had just had this moment. He handled it for me. (laughs) But I was just like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, at a funeral. This is what we're going to be talking about. How you as an evangelical think that my cousin is burning in hell because you didn't get a chance to save them. I was deeply infuriated and I told this person like, I recently had a conversation with this cousin about the afterlife. I think we're good. Um, Because I, as a heaven believing person, as a quote unquote Christian, um, don't know how I feel about that word quite yet still um we had those conversations because he felt safe having those conversations with me and ryan and his nieces and nephews and everybody around in that house right so like and my cousin was a good person like he was deeply good even if he was an asshole um so like you're not we're not doing this um one that was a personal affront to me two that is what is being taught in the evangelical church that is what is being taught to everybody who walks through those doors and who has somebody die um, or anybody die. They are told that it is your job to save people. It is your job to make sure they're not going to hell. And if you fail, they're burning, bitch. Um, and like my friend Brad Onishi from Straight Mind American Jesus says, if you truly believed in hell and that people didn't don't hear the word of god or don't accept jesus christ as their lord and savior that they're going to hell why why do you have a job like why aren't you doing this 24 7 like why aren't you being more obnoxious why aren't you being more annoying um why aren't you traveling all over the fucking world each and every one of you not just the people that are called to the mission field like you cannot truly believe this in your heart of hearts because you would be doing something about it Because guess what? So many of us who have left evangelicalism truly believe that shit. And we're so fervent about, you know, being missionaries and doing this and um, being assholes and being bold for Christ. Um, 
And then we laugh because we realized it was bullshit. Like, this is just not what you actually believe. Um, and it's a huge disservice to those of us who are grieving, right? Like, we who have lost should not have to deal with the ramifications of your religion in the midst of our grief. Like, keep it to yourself. Um, I know you're probably trying to proselytize right now, telling us, like, you sh- you still have a chance. You can still go to heaven. Um it's fine. We're all going to heaven. Don't worry about me. Um, so that was all an experience. And then I had my best friend die, my roommate, my baby, um, the mother of my two children now, my two dogs. And because I was the one that was in it, um, with my partner, And we were kind of in charge. That was frightening. Um, And I realized then how ritual is so important to me. Um, I mean, I bought black veils. I wore all black every day because it just felt correct. I held what I called Mexican Shiva in my house. Also because like she was a wedding florist. So we had to like get her last few weddings done. Um, and people just wanted to be together and we were in the house that she had lived in that I've showed little parties in so I invited everybody over and it was just like a good bonding experience we cried together we laughed together and people cheered me up and we were playing with flowers and remembering her and I realized that because of who I am as a person that people did not feel comfortable exclaiming their evangelicalism at me which is great even my mom whom I don't get along with I mean she's a good worker bee so she was there every day cleaning my house cooking she's also floor so she was doing flowers um my cousin who had just come from Mexico she was like helping out too like it was nobody said anything to me which I think has a lot to do with my bitchy personality and I mean it's to the point where I was triple fisting i was had my nicotine vape in one hand my weed vape in the other one and some some form of alcohol in front of me or next to me and my mom didn't say a goddamn thing and that is correct woman okay don't don't come at me right now um actually maybe i didn't drink because i always had to be like ready for ativan because i would have these moments and i'm not a i'm not an ativan or xanax person um Moving to Orange County, crossing the Orange Curtain from L.A., you just, you know that these Orange County bitches love their Xanax. So we're not, you know. And not to say, if you need Xanax, you need Xanax. If you need Ativan, you need Ativan. I had Ativan because uh, my partner has Ativan. So, <laughs> and the doctor wouldn't fucking prescribe me any. Um, and I needed it. And I wouldn't take it very often, but sometimes you felt that rush of like, I'm going to lose my fucking shit right now. So I just would pop a pill and it was like, okay, I can exist without burning the world down. Um, And that was when I realized how little prepared I was for grief. I mean, I had that incident with the person at the memorial and that was infuriating. But when I was, when it was like solely on me because my cousin felt like it was obviously solely on his immediate family like yes I was in a support role but you know there's I, there's like tears um and I was up there but I wasn't like on the top tier you know what I'm saying um which is totally fine like your sisters 
whatever. Um, anyways, you know what I'm saying. When I was like in charge, actually planning a funeral, actually like handling the end of this business that she had, like doing all this stuff that I'm like, I'm not her mom. I'm not her parents. I'm not her siblings. Like, why am I in charge? Um, but also being like, yeah, damn straight. I'm fucking in charge. Okay. I'm here. I did. Anyways. Yeah. I realized I didn't know anything. Like I didn't know anything about how to process having to plan a funeral. Like sure. Them dying is the worst part, but having to plan a funeral where people like said the most beautiful things about them and like the flowers and like, it's just another fucking event that I have to plan. Luckily I work at a beautiful church. So I planned a beautiful service because my church is beautiful and it did most of the work and she was a florist and all of her friends had helped her at one time or another doing flowers. So we just did that together. Uh, And she had artist friends who sang songs and we had somebody who danced and it was just, I mean, shout out to, her friends, and now my friends. Um, It was truly a memorable experience, but we're not taught any of that. And yeah, if you're not religious, maybe that makes sense um, because you avoid it as long as possible. But when you're constantly inundated with death and dying, you would think that they would be like some sort of fucking class or something um, on how to grieve correctly without being like they're in a better place but that's all you get is they're in a better place and I kind of warned people in some ways or another like don't fucking tell me she's in a better place I don't believe in hell I know she's in a fucking better place but I miss her I need her um and obviously the Christians don't believe in therapy most of the time so they don't know how to like process all of these levels of grief um and now that so much time has passed since these two not so much time because it still feels like fucking yesterday but the time has passed after these events i'm still pretty righteously indignant like i feel like jesus wanting to throw over the table saying why didn't you prepare us for this if you claim to love us and creation Like, why are we not prepared? Why are we not told that this is going to be the worst experience of your life? I mean, I'm fortunate to go to progressive church with people who have lost incredibly close family members to them. And because we're all like real friends, they came over to Mexican Shiva and I had a lasagna every day. And like, it was just so beautiful. Um, And I remember sitting with two separate people, my friend Corey, shout out to Corey. Um, he lost his mom and he's sitting there and I always feel like a bitch. And so I'm like on the couch, just like double fisting, triple fisting, quadruple fisting with the Ativan. And I'm like asking for something. And it's like, ugh, I should get up and get it myself. Like, I feel like I'm being such a demanding bitch. And my friend Corey, who is the nicest guy. Um, he's like, Josie, you get to ask for whatever you need. You make people get things for you. You need to chill. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like he took away that, like you're being a bitch moment and said like, you need to rest and you need to process. Cause he had gone through it. Right. Um, 
And I'm sure he probably had a same similar moment, um, although he's kind of like an up and about guy, so maybe he didn't. But he understood what I was feeling, and he was like, nah, bitch, you need to sit the fuck down. Um, and so that was beautiful. And then I went out to eat with my friend Darcy, who is like a pro at grief. She lost her dad um, a while back, and she just let me like rant and bitch and scream. Not literally, because we were at a brewery. But we just had such an honest conversation that wasn't coded in like religiosity it was just like this is bullshit and specifically like we were talking about how um I had written this essay about when you go through the most traumatic things in life people tend to leave you and she was like yeah that's what happened to me um somebody that I loved so dearly as soon as my dad got sick bounced and it was so it was so, I don't know, like, because, again, I am a bitch, and I'm used to being, like, polarizing. So, when people left her, I was upset, but she was sick, so it was to be expected. And, you know, people can't handle things, and I get that. Like, it was it was a lot to handle, so I understand. Um, I have the gift of compartment, compa- compartmentalizing, so my therapist says it is a curse and a gift, so I will take that. So, I yeah. And she was like, no, Josie, it's not just because you're a bitch. It's because people just do like and the, the, and saying like maybe these people don't even know why they don't want to be in your life anymore. Maybe these people just can't handle the connection you have to the deceit. Like they can, just can't handle the situation. So they dip. And I found it really interesting that. I found the most comfort in grief from people who had deconstructed and left evangelicalism and said that the way we were taught or the things that we were not taught was fucked up and we had to figure it out for ourselves and we're going to make sure that you don't have to do the same. I mean, God damn, how fucking deep is that? Like, you don't have to do this alone, Josie, even though we may have had to. And I just felt so affirmed affirmed in my decision to leave the evangelical church in my grief because it was just not gonna it was not gonna work out for me right like if I had experienced these deaths in the evangelical church I would have burned the building down I would have burned it down and I would have come off screaming and saying I forget her name but I would have been like I wish you would like not think about hell I would burn down heaven and I would quench hell blah 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 that's how I was feeling and my throat hurts from saying all that because I'm like actually gonna cry but that's okay um I can cry later it is unforgivable how the evangelical church deals with grief thank you for the food thank you but um your awkwardness here is not you know how they're awkward yeah anyways you know what I'm saying it was insane how I found deep comfort with people outside of the church in grief more so than people inside of the church which should not be the case if we are to practice what we actually want to preach um I mean even with like my cousin my family who had always (laughs) supported me in my ragamuffin phase 
Like they had always been like, ah, you don't got to do that. That's crazy. Or ah, you don't have to like listen to your religious zealot parents telling you that. Like, that's crazy. Um, always supportive. Always told me like, you're not fucked up. Like, you're not weird. You're just like an individual. And the fact that we glommed onto each other in that grief was just beyond um, affirming of my decision to leave for progressive religion. Speaking of my family who helped me stay crazy um, and who loved me despite all my shenanigans, uh, <laughs> who I would die for, um, they were also the most impactful people to me when it came to leaving my abusive household. Um, because like I had my friends and I had my mentors and I had like all these beautiful people in my life telling me that I was not crazy, but it is a whole, when you're an immigrant, when you're first generation Mexican American woman going out on her own saying, fuck this culture, I'm out, I'm dipping. Like, this is not what I want for me and my life. And I'm not going to accept this as my existence anymore. They saw the violence in my home and were so accepting of me not wanting that violence in my life. Um, I mean, they remember things from when I was a kid that was just like, I remember you getting your ear ripped off of your head because they were pulling your ear or whatever. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry you had to experience that. I don't remember that, but I'm so sorry that you, as my aunt, because I mean, regardless of how you act with your own children, um, seeing your nieces and nephews, I feel like it's a whole different experience. Like, don't touch my niece like that. She's cute or whatever, you know? So it's fine. And I truly believe that the violence that I experienced in my home, whether it be emotional, physical, or psychological, was directly linked to the evangelical religion that I was growing up in. I mean... I don't know if this is just a Latin church, but like there's so many rules about like honoring your parents. I mean, I posted that hot take that I, where I preached at church and everybody's laughing at me because not everybody was told that you would die young if you didn't listen to your parents. I still need to know if people also experience that same thing because I feel like a fucking lunatic when I say that now. <laughs> I thought that was so normal. Um, but yes, yeah, like. If you have to listen to your parents and your parents are hitting you because they're Mexican and I think that's the only way to discipline your children, like, of course, that is tied to the religion that is telling you, like, that your kids have to obey every single thing that you say. And outside of my own experience, I mean, we're all dealing with the repercussions of violence. That beautiful boutique owner was just murdered because she was not giving in to the religious zealots in her town telling her to take the pride flags down on her store. And somebody came and murdered her because of it. Um, and why? Because the church now, the even the white American evangelical church now, has deemed it necessary, has deemed it imperative to be all about the guns and all about fighting with the armor of God. And my dog is nesting. Batman! Oh my God. Um, deemed it necessary for violence to be the hallmark of our current religion because we are under attack because the culture is shifting outside of the Christian paradigm. 
oh excuse me sorry um deal with it i'm not a lady uh what was i saying yeah like they just think this is the ultimate culture war so to speak um it's bullshit right like this country was never founded on christian principles and i mean just look at i read many a founding father's biography in high school because i was a lunatic and i'm a history buff and i love learning how fucked up people are that we revere um they were fucked up like you're not gonna tell me that thomas jefferson was not a heretic or that benjamin franklin was not an orgy throwing weirdo i mean you do you ben i mean who am i whomst am i to tell you what to do but these people are not that christian at all whatsoever i mean they wrote it into the constitution separation of church and state because they fled religious domination okay this is turning into a history lesson you guys know this or you should unless the conservative <laughs> education system in your town didn't teach you um sorry if they didn't i'll teach you later this rhetoric this violent rhetoric is directly leading to the death of people and as somebody who is grieved it pisses me off obviously because like once you lost somebody and you see people taking those like people from people it's just unforgivable i mean you know it's unforgivable i want to say that i could forgive i'm it's unforgivable and i i'm just that's where i'm at i mean these are unforgivable sins after all and i feel like they're forgetting like the bible that i read had a god who had a violence redemption arc kind of you know like isn't that the whole point of jesus we went from the violence and the wrath and the anger of god in the old testament to jesus being perfect and a pacifist and all these things uh alleged pacifist you know as pacifist as most humans can get i assume and he came and he was an innocent and he's the one that redeemed your whole life and after that god was chiller like we're not gonna take that example where you're just gonna go to jericho we're just gonna mind you they marched around like it's not that violent but anyways like we're that's what were the examples that we're gonna use the old ones not the new ones we're not supposed to fear the wrath of god anymore i mean the rainbow you're trying so hard to reclaim is like a testament to that right like not gonna flood you anymore what is not computing with the fact that god himself themselves chose peace over violence sure through violence but like i mean obviously i'm not a biblical scholar i'm just a bitch who's read the bible multiple times and likes to read about it and doesn't hold it as high as all these other people but like this is the arc that has been set sent to you as an example and we're just gonna ignore it instead we're gonna take up arms and we're not gonna love our neighbor we're gonna kill our neighbor once again if you believed in hell this would not be happening you would not cut their life short before they can be redeemed and sent to heaven if this is what you truly believed it's bullshit 
right? And not to say that the people who, I mean, there's no true Christians, whatever. Never mind. I'm not going to even, whatever. It's annoying. It's annoying. It's infuriating that these people who don't respect life are trying to use it. Violence is an unforgivable sin in the church. And I'm going to leave it at that because I'm going to get mad. And when I get mad, I get less eloquent and I start cursing up a storm. And Lord knows my mouth hurts. I just got my braces readjusted and talking is kind of hurting and yelling hurts even more. So we're going to leave it at that. Violence is bullshit. And the violence I experienced as a child is a direct result of this religion. And I'm going to leave it at that. I've explained it already. Speaking of not respecting human life, another unforgivable sin is how we treat women in the evangelical church. How do I know? I was a woman in the evangelical church. Um, oh, God. I mean, this topic has been talked about up and down. I mean, we all know it. It's just another unforgivable sin. But the point is, I should not have to fight for my right to be seen as an equal human being in the eyes of God to people who claim to so fervently love God. What is the issue here? I mean, we all know what the issue is, right? They're just like being assholes and wanting to read things a certain way and not accept things that are different and blah, 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 blah. But here's the kicker is I left evangelicalism. I'm done. I actively fight against it. I make fun of people. I don't care. It's hilarious and you deserve it. I, a person existing outside of evangelicalism, am still disrespected by people within the church because I am a woman who is married and I don't want to have children. All those things are separate, right? I'm a woman, so we have the natural, normal evangelicals hate women. Yay, patriarchy. They love it. Woo! But I'm also married. And I'm not I'm not the household heavy lifter. I'm not domestic. I mean, I'm disabled, and they don't want to consider that. So I'm just trying to I'm just trying to make it through the fucking day without losing my goddamn mind from all the pain I'm in. Um and I can't hold a fucking dish without breaking it because my hands don't work because the, the, the pins, I can't, I can't pins. I can't. Anyways, you get it. It's hard and I don't want to break dishes and it hurts. So my partner does it. Mind you, he also makes a fucking mess when he cooks in the kitchen. So he gets to clean it up because if it was a reasonable amount of mess, maybe we could talk, but it is unreasonable. He explodes all over the kitchen and I'm not dealing with that. Um, I do sometimes, but I don't. And, oh, the fact that he cooks and I don't, I'm a terrible wife. I'm a terrible person. It's to the point where I refuse to be referred to as a wife because of all of the connotations that that word carries. I'm not a wife. I'm a partner, bitch. You get what I'm saying? Like, that's my spouse. That's my partner. I'm not a wife. It's not my husband. No, thank you. I don't want you to assume things based on that word. Sorry if you hear my dogs yawning in the back. They're bored with this topic already. They're bored by me. Ugh, dogs. 
Um, so yeah, I'm not a good wife. So I'm going against the Lord's design, all that bullshit. And I don't care. You know what I'm saying? Like, whatever. I'm sitting here with my massage pads, my foot baths, my heating pads, my weed. I'm chilling. You can do whatever you want within your marriage. That's fine. But I'm trying to serve. Are you barking at me? Don't bark at me. Oh my God. These dogs are so disrespectful. See, I'm constantly disrespected. <laughs> and the fact that I don't want to have children. I mean, we've all heard of the quiverful. Fuck the fact that I'm disabled and I could die from being pregnant. Fuck you, Josie. You gotta have kids. It's your mission as a woman. You were given a vagina, so a kid has to come out of it. Like, naturally, right? No, thank you. They don't care. The people that care the least about my life are evangelical people. Okay, now they're crying. It's okay. Oh my god. We're gonna ignore them. They don't care about my life. They just want me to have kids. For whatever... Like, you're not gonna take care of them. I'm gonna take care of them. If I survive. And even if I do survive, I have to deal with the medical ramifications of have of going through something so close to life and death. Like, we're just going to ignore that this is not just, like, a casual experience. Sure, 51% of the population can experience it. 51% of the population is not going to survive it because this shit's rough. And it's all wrapped up in religion. Like, because you are a creature of God with a womb, you have to have kids. You have to procreate. This is what I hear from my parents. Yes, my parents. This is what I hear from lots of people who want to have kids. It's just... Wow, my teeth are... It's fine. We're going to move on to the last one. Because, wow, I've been talking for 40 minutes already. I didn't think it was going to be this easy to record a solo episode. Wow. Anyways, that's insider information. Forget you heard that. Fear. Fear is the last one. The fact that I lived in fear and continue to live in fear subconsciously for the rest and I will for the rest of my life because of the psychological trauma that I endured in the evangelical church is unforgivable. Recently in therapy, um, we were talking and my, <laughs> my crazy came out because I was telling my therapist, like, it doesn't matter what is happening. I will always go to the worst case scenario. I will always travel down the rabbit hole to the worst possible thing that can happen. Why? Rapture trauma. <laughs> I was always waiting for the world to end. So I'm that is the ultimate worst case scenario, right? Like the world ends and we all die. Um, whether or not I believed in heaven was besides the point because I didn't want I didn't want to experience the rapture. It seemed like a bad time. It didn't sound fun. So I didn't want to deal with it. Um, and as a result of the ultimate worst case scenario, I continue to do that in my personal life. I, oh God. Like if I'm having a fight with my partner, I will immediately go to A plus B plus C plus D equals he's going to hate me. He's going to resent me and he's going to leave me or he's going to murder me. Um, or when I travel for a less intense example, I always think about the plane is going to, I'm going to be late. 
I got to be there three hours early, no matter whether it's domestic or whatever. Um, the flight's going to get canceled. I'm going to die in a plane. I think of every single bad thing that could happen to the most abstract, right? Like to the most abstract. I mean, this whole pregnancy thing. Like I think I'm going to get pregnant and I'm going to die. Like that is just the reality in my head. I'm justified in thinking that, but it is what keeps me, um, comforted with my decision. (laughs) This is the insane part is that I find such deep comfort from thinking of the worst case scenario. And my therapist, I'm pretty sure was freaked the fuck out. (laughs) She's like, what do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean it brings you comfort? And I was like, because if I can come up with the worst case scenario in my head, then I'm prepared. I got it. I got this. Um, my partner also gets a little bit upset and not upset, like angry, but scared because I tell him like, he's like very frugal, whatever. I'm not that frugal, but I've been putting in the effort. Um, but I have often told him like, I don't think you understand that if we lose all of our money, all of our possessions and end up on the street, I am very confident that I will build my life back up. Like after my whole life, after living in an abusive household, after being diagnosed with a fucking pain disorder and living in pain 24 seven, after leaving my religion, after all of this bullshit, I think I can handle being homeless. You know, and if I die, I die. Sounds like I'm not in pain anymore. You know, <laughs> um, uh, people tend not to think that this is the best course of action psychologically. I find it personally exhilarating. But again, it is because I'm just so used to the worst case scenario being thrown in my face. I'm used to hell. I'm used to rapture, fire and brimstone piles of clothes around me and being left behind. I'm used to it. But it's not often. I will say that I feel like an anomaly where fear and anger and all of these things bring me such joy and comfort. Oh my God. I am exhilarated. I am motivated by it. Um, mostly because my head flips it on, on its side and it's like, but it's actually like this, you know, like, I've done the compartmentalizing, the coping. It's all, we're Gucci up in here. Lots of therapy, lots of therapy. But not everybody has that same reaction, right? I mean, it's like siblings who experience the same abuse. One of them does well, one of them really doesn't. And why? Because we're all different people. And as somebody who is a survivor and who was able to rise above through excruciating, excruciating work, of becoming who I am today, I realize it's not work that everybody is fully capable of doing because it is just so dehumanizing for so long. I remember in college, I was talking to my best friend at the time and I was like, I just, I'm a sociopath. I feel like I have no feelings. I don't like people touching me. I, 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 you know, like I was just so averse to relationships at the time even though I deeply wanted to feel love, like I still had best friends and I had these deep connections, but I didn't, you know, there's different aspects of that. And, um, she was like, 
Josie, you're not a fucking sociopathic. Of course you have feelings. You're just having a hard time feeling them. You just left this abusive household. You were still physically, emotionally, and psychologically recovering. Like, you'll be fine. And yes, she was right. I am fine. I cry more often now. Okay? I do. I cry all the time. Um, No, that's not true. I don't cry all the time. I cry when necessary. <laughs> um, But this fear that we're all living with because of the way that we grew up, regardless of whether we believe in hell or not or actually believe the rapture is going to happen or not the trauma is still there it is in our bodies in our bones in our blood we are still affected by it. it it's yeah ptsd for shizzle um unforgivable sin what are your unforgivable sins what do you think i mean um obviously how we treat gay people is in there um but i wanted to do something outside of lgbtqia plus for one episode just because that's its own episode you know i mean it's just extreme to the extreme so these are like the unforgivable sins that uh i personally experienced you know i wasn't gay as a kid so i didn't have to deal with that um i was too busy chasing the boys <laughs> wanting to oh my god this bitch is barking at me okay i'm almost done Pedicuccino. Um, anyways, I don't have to justify why I didn't do it. I'm tired. My mouth hurts. So we're going to leave it at that. Uh, what are your unforgivable sins? Um, what is the niche thing? Do you agree with me? Do you disagree with me? What are we, what are we talking about now? You know? Um, yeah. The church is pretty unforgivable. I mean, I'm all for burning it down. People think it can be redeemed, but whatever. Let's burn it down. Sounds good to me. I will remind you that if your church is traumatizing you, you should leave. Point blank. Don't give them your money. I mean, if you want to stay because you like the music or whatever, don't give them your money. Don't serve. And if they ask you why, you say, mm, that's because you're fucked up, homie. I like your music, but you're fucked up. Um, We need to be more vocal with these things, you know? I mean... I'm vocal about these things on the internet. You probably follow people who are vocal about these things on the internet. But you, listener, you, all, all of us, all of us need to be more vocal in real life about these things. If your evangelical friends, family, loved ones are saying something fucked up, be like, <laughs> that was fucked up, wasn't it? Um, you can make it a joke. I find it f even more hilarious because they feel more ridiculous. Like if they say something homophobic, um, actually... I'm watching Stars on Mars right now, and Lance Armstrong is on there. And oh my god, it's Lance Armstrong. Lance Armstrong. Like, he's exactly who people said he would be on the show, and it's kind of sad. I'm like, bruh, you can you can chill out. You can be nicer. They started talking about trans um, children in sports, and <laughs> people were not reacting well, obviously. Like, no, like this is liberal people on the show, and whatever. Um, he says he's liberal, but that's not very liberal of you, Lance. You see what I'm saying? Like, that's how you need to talk to people. Like, <laughs> is that really what you believe? Oh my God, how problematic. I highly recommend it. It's my recommendation of the day. It And it helps your soul to, like, not to feel like it's being taken as seriously. Like, you're being ridiculous and we all kind of know it. So we're just going to call it out. It's very healing. Um, I do that to literally everybody in my life. Everybody. I have a lot of white people in my life and I love them. 
but they also know that they won't get away with shit. And oh my God, is that so satisfying too? To be the bitch that you don't let anything slide? Oh my God, it's so empowering. Ah, I love it. You should try it. Um, I know there are some shy people. Not everybody has completely gotten rid of their shame like I have. Um, but I recommend it. It's fun. Anyways, let me know what your unforgivable sins are. If you would like to come on the podcast to talk about your unforgivable sin, please let me know. Um, you can find the podcast on Instagram at Speaking in Church where you can message me. And I let most people on this podcast because I love people. So if you disagree, if you're an evangelical, if you all the stuff, um, if you want to argue with me nicely and humorfully, on this podcast i'm down let's do it um you can find me at josie takes the world but it is a boring instagram i post birthday posts a uh, grief posts, art posts, books i read mostly things i crochet although i am taking a break because i did get a stress repeated stress injury that's bullshit um and it's worse because i have a pain disorder so fuck me i guess i can't crochet my fun little things um it's fine so yeah that's it right instagram oh you can tip me we have merch oh my gosh my merch is so cute you guys should buy some it is and it's like chill merch you know it's not like speaking in church because i i don't wear stuff like that so i made stuff that is like a little bit more universal cute whatever um, we have a tip jar. This is a free show and it will continue to be free. But if you want to support me, um, you could do that. It's in the link in the Instagram bio. Other than that, friends, stay work. My mouth is giving out. Oh my gosh, my braces. Ah, these are, these bitches are almost coming off. They're almost coming off and I don't have to deal with this pain that is time stand because I have a nerve pain disorder, but it's fine. Anyways, as always, friends, stay woke or get woke. Please. Goodbye. <laughs>